the Skyflow Stoics podcast where presenters Robert Kuhn and Colin Hay present ancient Stoic philosophy to modern ears in the hope that people may find some inner freedom. Welcome back, everybody. We're back to another episode of the Scotland Stoics. My name is Robert Keenan, and I'll be your presenter for tonight. Uh, we've got a good, exciting guest on. Can you tell us who you are? So, my name is Kai Whiting. Um, I am a scholar based in Belgium, but I'm sort of moving more into, say, popularised stoicism by writing a co-authoring a book, which is called Being Better, Stoicism for a World Worth Living In. Excellent, Kai. Um, I started reading the book and it's really, really good. I've, I think I've got about half a chapter at the end to go, so um, it's been excellent stuff. The only, the only, I'll get this, this slight criticism out the road to know, mate. The only thing that I didn't like about it was only 137 pages long. I could have read more, you know. <laughs> Actually, that, that, most people have said that. It's too short. I've seen um, it, I was like, I've only got that many pages, stuff it goes. I, like, oh, no, I really loved I really, really enjoy it, man. So. Yeah. That is that is the major criticism of that book. Yeah. Right of the view that it's better that you want more than I've been droning on for like. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I, I seen I was coming to the end and I wasn't I wasn't best pleased, you know. <laughs> but uh, not to that, that show is a good book, but that's a good that's a good book, mate. That's what we tried to to do. Also because I'm living in well, I'm actually living in Portugal right now. I was also thinking yeah. about non-native speakers. Like, how could we get stories into them? If you give a non-native speaker a book in, they're not you know not their first language then having it quite short gives a really good introduction. So we was like, how can we do that? Because we work with, well, he's, Leo, the co-author speaks Spanish to his family quite often. And I speak Spanish myself and I speak Portuguese. So I was very sort of conscientious of, uh, conscious of the fact that we didn't want to basically have a book so big that you could do damage to someone's head if you hit them with it. So we thought if you hit them with this one, they wouldn't even notice. So that would be okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was the major criticism, and I completely get why that would be. Because if it is a good book, you, you know, you want more, and you kind of yeah. feel shortchanged. I mean, it is slightly expensive for the size of the book, and I would say that that was because it aligns with our values. Funnily enough, it's made the energy uh, in the office where the publisher is is renewable energy. It's soil-based ink. Uh, it's recycled, some recycled paper. And the people that produce it were in Canada, so so of no labour abuses. So it is more expensive, yeah. but it's you know if I'm going to quote unquote preach something about the value of virtue, then it's quite nice to think that the book was also made trying to put forth you know virtuous values. That's why it's a little bit more expensive. But I completely get your criticism. You were about the hundredth person that told me that, so you're, good, <laughs> you're in good company, Robert. Yeah, but it's company. a positive criticism because it is that enjoyable, you know. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, good stuff, man. Right, so what we're doing in the Scotland Stoics podcast is we are trying to attempt to get to know our guests a wee bit better before we start talking about Stoicism. So could you give us a wee background? I know you're in Portugal right now, Guy, but could you give us a wee background uh, where you're from, what was it like growing up where you were from, um, and probably talk about your educational background as well, if you don't mind. That's brilliant, yeah. So, I, well, as you can probably tell from my accent, I'm definitely not Portuguese. Yeah. Uh, but I've been here for the last oh, five years because I did my PhD here in sustainable energy and materials. So I didn't do stories in my PhD. I'm a doctor, but I don't put Dr. Kai on the, on those kind of books because I'm not a doctor of stories. 
uh, I think you said you probably heard me say that actually in in 2018, where I said being an engineer, we get the how, but we don't get the why. So I started working in philosophy because I was like, okay, we focus on how to build a bridge and what to use to build a bridge, but why are we building a bridge in the first place? And engineering doesn't tell you. But just doing philosophy was like, okay, I get the why. What are you going to do about it? And they couldn't tell me. So I thought that we could approach it both ways. My child is quite inter- my child is quite interesting because I come from a working class background and had to change my accent because people <laughs> told me I'd never get a job as an academic if I had my accent. And it was really funny one. I was actually of all places I was in China and I was having a conversation with somebody and they stopped me, a Chinese person. She stopped me. She said, you were poor once. And I looked at her and said, how do you know? She said, I can tell by your accent. So it was really, really interesting that I'd managed to hide it from everybody except a Chinese speaker. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? Because in Chinese, in the Mandarin language and the dialects, they, it's very tonal. And so to, you know what the UK is like with, with class and, and accent. You yeah. can also tell by somebody's tone when they're angry and the kind of tones that they use. And I wasn't really aware of it at the time. But yeah, unfortunately, I had to change my accent because I couldn't speak the way that I'd been brought up. So when I went back after studying, because I'd studied basically the PhD here in Portugal, but I'd also worked and studied in Colombia and China and Latvia and the Middle East. When I came back, people, my friends from school were offended, were offended because they felt that I didn't care about them anymore. They were like, you're not one of us anymore because you speak differently now. So that was quite difficult, actually. I found that really, really hard to like come to terms with that they felt I betrayed them because I had like removed my accent in order to progress. So it's, it's quite a sad story, really, that one has to do that. But I think it's quite, I, I wanted to share that story because you asked a very sort of personal question. I thought the best answer that I can give is that even if you do have a working class background, yeah, you, you can move up the ranks. Yes, you have to sacrifice certain identity traits, but I, we man, you know, managed to do it. So first person in my family to go to university was my aunt. But my, both my parents, neither of my parents went. One of them is a mechanic. Uh, number one uh, works at HR and things like that. So I wasn't coming from an academic background myself per se. Um, but I wanted, you know, my parents said to me, if, if you want to get out of difficulty, you've got, you've got to educate yourself. There's no other way of doing it. So it's uh, really, well, I, I guess it's true for everything, right? In one of the chapters that we write, only educated are free. Yeah. So I don't necessarily mean yeah. you have to have a piece yeah. of paper that you can stick on your wall, or if it's not so useful, wipe your bum with. It's more like something that you have to really think about. What is it that I want in life? How do I get it? And so when I say education is the way forward, I don't necessarily mean a formal education, Robert. I mean uh, educating yourself about key aspects in your life. So if you happen to be, be a mechanic, for example, it's really yeah. important that you understand engines and you understand cars and you understand how to repair and replace and when something needs to be repaired and when something needs to be replaced, because that's to do with, in the stoic sense, your virtue about knowing what to do in a given situation and being fair about it. No, it's really interesting. So I didn't catch. What town were you originally from? I didn't tell you. So um, I'm sorry, from, I thought that. So yeah, you, you, I couldn't get away with that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm originally, <laughs> really, that's sneaky. You must be the police officer in your previous yeah. life. <laughs> so I, I was, I'm from a town called Bishop Stalford. Uh, the most famous thing about it, possibly, is it was the last football team to win the Amateur FA Cup. Okay. It's about, about as famous as Bishop Stalford gets in 1974. Um, it's halfway between uh, Cambridge and London. And if you've yeah. ever flown into London Stansted, it's like uh, five miles from there. 
Okay. So I would say it's a commuter's paradise, <laughs> but it's not a really, it's not necessarily a particularly interesting town, but I'm very pleased to, to be from there. Yeah. I, I liked what you were saying there. I'm, I'm very similar. It's like, see the friends that I grew up with? There's a collection of them that are still my friends today. But uh, so I had this conversation with my son. I says, who's your dad's best friends? And he, he explained who his dad's best friends were. I says, but who does your dad hang around with? You know, who's the people he associates with? And it was a kind of light bulb moment because the people that I grew up with, as much as I love them and I care for them and they'll always be there for the rest of my life, when I get into stoicism and I get into different things in life that I do, um, you disassociate with some people, not because not, it's not like you're any better than them. It's just that you've got different hobbies and interests. And, I've, and I'm sure you experienced that big time as well. It's very difficult. I mean, yeah. it was, it's quite fun, though, because my friends were asking me what I did right, as a job. And I was trying to explain to them. And they were like, no, I don't get it. No, I don't get it. So I was trying to, to explain. And they went, one, one of them had a light bulb. And they were like, you were like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and I was like, yes, that's exactly my kind of life. I'm like Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. And it, 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 it's the best explanation to someone who's never, you know, um, my friends from school, uh, some of them can't read, actually, because my school yeah, wasn't yeah. very good. Yeah. So they couldn't read. And they were asking things like, who's the prime minister and things like that, because they really just don't know so yeah. it's quite interesting when you try and explain to somebody your job who cannot read like they i mean they're what we call functionary literate so they know words they know to write the name but they're a struggle to read so you know they'll get their kids to read to them the younger kids yeah. to read to them so that they read together the same book because they just struggle yeah. and but they always say to the kids like you have to be more like kai than me you can't be like me if you want to succeed because it's really hard when you can't read course so i mean that's quite difficult i mean another thing i was found quite interesting was when i lived in china when i worked for the united nations yeah. i came back and i could use chopsticks <laughs> and they thought that was amazing they were like that's the best thing i've ever seen in my life you know how to use chopsticks i was like well in china you either starve or you learn to use chopsticks, chopsticks. Like, i i went there and i couldn't use them and by the time i left the chinese told me you use them really well what, what choice did you have like you just you either you know sink or swim but they thought that was a fascinating like skill set i was like to me it was like oh i had to you didn't have an knife that the only place you could have an knife was in pizza hut and in china the middle classes upper classes uh, send their kids to pizza hut to learn how to use a knife and fork because pizza is a really posh place they have chandeliers and piano and everything and i was like when i went to pizza in china i was like chandeliers yeah yeah no <laughs> but it's a really posh place yeah, Which yeah. is so funny because you go you know, to Pizza Hut somewhere in like the UK and it's like, it's just like yeah. you do. But there, it's really where you send your kids to learn knife and forks and uh, European table manners. It's just really interesting how you can oh, just make a completely different situation. But that is hard. So I completely understand, uh, Robert, what you know what you're saying when you said you struggle sometimes, but not because you think you're better than them. And they no, don't not at all. Yeah, but you have not. different life experiences, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very blessed that way as well, similar to yourself, that I get to um, communicate with people throughout the world, obviously through the podcast, who have um, got completely different lives that I've got. You know, I'm still, I still live within my local community and I work within my local community. And it's great because I get to see all different walks of life within a local community. I've got like, there's a, where I stay, I stay in a town called Cumberland. And there's a there's a motorway that goes through the middle. So the north of the town is very affluent, and the south is very poor. 
and it's great because you get to with the with my working business is I've, um, I go between both sides of the town. Now in America, we'd see it the other side of the tracks, you know, <laughs> yes. and it's um, and it's good to see it. And I get on with people from all walks of life, you know, and it's, it's I'm very very blessed, you know what I mean. And uh, I never ever judge people on that because um, human beings are human beings, as you know, and we've all got the potential to be. You know, rational beings, we've all got the potential for virtue and that stuff that we're going to talk on in, in, in due course. And a lot of that, for me, I was just blessed that I was, I was educated into stoicism and, and other uh, forms of uh, philosophy, which we'll, we'll discuss in, in due course. That's actually leads us on to the next question. So the first time I ever, I, I never met you as I came up and spoke to you, but the first time that I ever seen you in, in person, I've only seen you the once in person, was in 2018. So I seen uh, and it was, I started getting into stoicism, um, which I can discuss with you later if you want. And I seen that it was a uh, storecon down in London, and I went, oh, is this? and I'd all that working class in me. Oh, I don't know if I can go down there. I mean, that's an academic place. I'll feel a wee bit out of sorts with all these people and all that. Do you know that that it's a shame that a lot of people for that for working class environments they feel that they've got it, which they find is imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? And I and I went doing and I and before I, I I'd seen you I'd seen Donald Robertson for the first time and it, his books was one of the first books I read and I was like and then I knew he was a Scotsman as well so I'm like I need to go introduce myself to Donald Robertson because I'm no shy <laughs> so, so you mean, I sort of all right Donald how you got <laughs> you know uh, just straight to the point he's like a wee bit a wee bit sheepish like oh how are you not he was really nice and very pleasant. But it was you um, that I think I don't know if you were the first like, kind of speaker I heard, but it was one of the first ones I heard anyway. And you were you were using examples of environmentalism and how it, it can come in, it can be mapped together, infused with stoicism. So the question I'm asking you first: How did you get into stoicism, and then how did you come to obviously the conclusion that the two of them fit hand in hand, environmentalism and stoicism? Thanks. I think most of us come, uh, and yourself included, Robert, we come to stoicism when we are either broken or we can't solve a problem. So you don't have to be broken um, to, to find stoicism, but you have to be in a situation normally, not everybody, when your back's up against the wall and you're between a yes, rock and a half place, right? So my, I, I came to stoicism because I was in a hospital waiting room and my grandma was dying. My nan was dying. And I didn't know that at the time. But it was on my lap. It was not a stoic book per se, but it was certainly a stoic influence book. And it talks about the difference between perception and reality, what we think about something as opposed to what is actually happening. And then she died. And I remember like, it was like the oxygen got sucked out of that room. I don't know, Robert, if you've had anybody close to you die. Yeah. But have you been in the waiting room where you're all hopeful and suddenly hope's yeah, gone? I'd done it with my granddad. I, was, when I remember kissing him in the forehead as he, he just off the... I was actually at a gig at the time, and and time I get back, he was he was gone, and it was tragic, you know. But I remember giving him a kiss in the head, and it's a well, it's a hard hard experience, yeah. So the the oxygen literally got sucked out of the room, and I could see the faces yeah. change from being hopeful to being hopeless, right? Because there's no once you hear that somebody's died, all your oh I hope they get better, they just might get better, they will get better. You know it's not going to happen, and you know there's no more memories that can be formed. I mean, you can have a memory of the funeral, but it's not a memory of them. Yeah. And I remember thinking about it. I was just sat and thought about it, and I didn't cry, which I found very strange. 
And I'm not saying that crying is bad because it depends on who you are and it depends on the reasons you're crying. Because, for example, I really hate it when people say, you know, if you don't cry, it's toxic masculinity. Well, it depends. I've seen people cry to gaslight people. That's pretty toxic, right? Yeah, so you have people crying. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen any male or female cry in front of their partner to manipulate them. I mean, I've seen it. I've been in the middle. Yeah, I've been involved with it. Yeah. To me. yeah, yeah. So I was, I was sitting in a room with people who were crying to get, because basically I was the friend who was a friend of them both. And they, you could work, I worked out that they were trying to manipulate me. Uh, to say, oh, basically, if Kai's on my side, I win the argument. Actually, I've never spoke to them again because I realised whilst I was sitting there, they were, they were like, it was like a show. It was like a theatre production almost. And I was sitting there thinking, wait a minute, why am I being used for this? Right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, crying per se isn't necessarily good nor bad. It's actually, it's actually indifferent. But I thought about it and thought, okay, what's, what, does the, what does her death mean to me? Because sometimes we cry because for our own selfish reasons, we miss them. It's not really about them, actually. So I was thinking, what does this mean to me? What will I do about it? And I didn't have an answer. I just knew that crying about it and being suffering because of her death rather than celebrating her life wasn't going to help me. And I thought, if Sturz can help me understand that, it doesn't mean it wasn't tragic. It was tragic for me. I'm not going to say it wasn't tragic. She was the most important person in my life. You know, I love my mum, but she was, you know, she was the rock of the family and I knew the whole yeah. family structure was yeah. going to change. I've got a grand just to see him like that, yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you do at that point? And Stoicism gave me, it didn't give me the answers because Stoicism doesn't give you answers. What it does is it, it gives you questions, right? Which is why we wrote the book, Leo and I, the way we did. Because I get really irritated with like self-help going, self-help is listen to exactly what Kai says and do exactly the same thing as Kai and you'll be successful. Yeah. And I give an example that you'll probably appreciate with, uh, imagine you, how tall are you, Robert? Uh, six foot one, mate. Okay, you're six foot one. Imagine there's toilet roll on the top shelf, and you just do this and you grab it and you say, Look, Kai, if you want to get the toilet roll off that top shelf, you just got to stand next to the shelf, lift your hands up, and grab it. Okay, okay, Robert, and I follow you. And I'm five foot five and a half. You see, the half is that important. <laughs> and I do exactly, I do exactly what you, you say. And I stand next to you and I lift my arms up and I can't reach it. And you're like, Hi, just believe that believe that you can yeah. you can yeah. get it. I'm like, Robert, I am. Are you in your tiptoes, Kai? And you're like, and I'm like, well, yeah, and you still can't reach it. No, Robert. But if you follow exactly what I say, you'll do it. If someone told me, well, Robert's a bit taller than you, just get a stepladder, then we could get the toilet roll, both of us. You wouldn't need the stepladder, but I do. And that's the issue with self-help. That's why I don't particularly like self-help. Yeah. So in the book, we're like, we're not going to give you the answers because you might be six foot one and I might be five foot five, which is difficult if you're on a plane, because when I'm on a plane, I'm pretty happy. You're probably not. Yeah. So that was the kind of push that we were like, you know, pushing pushing against that tendency because self-help to me isn't that you follow what I say. It's that I give you some advice and you, you weigh it up. And you get rid of what's not useful and you take what is useful. That's called helping yourself. If you're yeah. listening to exactly Absolutely. what I'm saying, that's not self-help. That's just listening to what I'm saying. So this is what stoicism could do for me. It couldn't bring my, my nan back. It wasn't going to stop my family descending into some kind of chaos whilst we organised us, reorganised ourselves. I mean, was it the same with your nan when she... That was my grand, my grandfather. Yeah, my grandfather. Was it the same that you? It was my, it was my dad's dad um, that passed on. So my grand, so sorry, his, so his wife died previously. Up, so my mother's side, my grand's still alive today, and like you, but you said she's like the glue that binds our family together. When she goes, there'll be a lot of that stuff that you were speaking about. 
um, with, with conflicts between family because that's the dynamics. Yeah, that's what's going to happen while you just sort of, the, the, you know, unfortunately for them, the dust settles, right? Yeah. So, that, you know, that was something we had to do. And the Sturgeon didn't give me the answer to that. I wasn't in control of what was going to happen to my family because I'm not, you know, one of the older ones and, you know, families work, you know, that's kind of dynamic, don't they? But it did sort of say, okay, what's your role going to be for yourself? What, how are you going to manage that? So, again, you know, Sturgeon isn't going to give me any answers because everybody's different right yeah so I, I often say that eudaimonia we all look in the same direction so you and i robert are looking in the same direction but i'm lying to you if i say that our paths are the same i'm lying to you if i say at the length of the path is the same yeah. i'm lying to you if i say the inclination of the path is the same yeah. right this is the problem well with self-help is that people say if you follow what i do and do as what i say you're going to get the same results well you might if you were exactly the same person as me but if you were born, let's say, in, in Ghana instead of Glasgow, then what you can do with, with the money that you have is vastly different. Maybe you can't get a mortgage because there's just no way of doing that. And maybe if you're, you know, maybe if you're born, let's say, in Glasgow instead of New York, you might be able to get credit in New York for, to buy stuff you know, that you need that you can't get in Glasgow because in Europe, we're much stricter about how you borrow money. So, and for example, like I said before, like your accent might be a restriction. Absolutely. Right? In, eh? And it was a restriction in my case. And when I lived in Dundee, for example, when I was studying in Dundee, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. speak much. I think I said to, to you before, because my accent actually caused me issues. <laughs> so i didn't speak much in dundee it was funny because my my mum's granddad was born in dundee they go oh you're not even scottish said, well, my, my great granddad was actually born in dundee was yours yeah. so i remember like it being a, being a problem and when i had a birthday party i had 38 people in my kitchen it was huge but none of the scottish people came because they said i was english right and it's the <laughs> only time in my life when i was thinking isn't that strange? So you yeah. can have like everything in your power to do exactly the same things that that person can do. And just because you happen to be English or Scottish or, yeah, or yeah. tall or short or male or female, it doesn't work, even though you do exactly the same, exactly the same thing. So stoicism to me, I know I gave a really long answer. Stoicism to me is a way of looking at what your, your reality is, Robert. Yeah. And not somebody else's. And then working out what, what works for you and what doesn't. Instead of following like a step-by-step sort of, uh, cooking recipe, as it were. Yeah, no, I think I think it's a very fair point, and I was I'm not saying all self help, but a lot of I see is very toxic because it's always pointing out there's a flaw with you, there's something wrong with you, and if you follow this plan, like the seven ways to success, something like some example like that, if you follow this plan, and it's like, as you said, it's not one size fits all, so. Exactly. That's what I find very difficult with it. It's, it's telling me that there's something wrong with me. Now, Stoicism has shown me that I'm a rational agent. I've got the I've got within my power to be virtuous. You know what I mean? So, therefore, there's nothing really wrong with me. It's just up to me, my character, how I go about and do my business. And that's what I love how Stoicism fits nicely with me. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and yeah. it's also not only how you do your business, but how you do your business based on who you are, right? Yes. Because we're the one size fits all. I mean, we're all human. So I'm not going to say there's nothing, even the Stoics would say your first role is shared with everybody. 
but it's okay who am i so for example in, in again some toxic kind of forms of self-help you'll say if you speak up in a meeting but women can't necessarily speak up in a meeting right and if they do they, they're usually seen as aggressive and if they're seen as aggressive they're seen as all sorts of things yeah. and also like you might not be able to we were saying before like if you're in an academic meeting or you're in a state con, you may not feel that it's your place to stand up. yeah yeah that's just my case yeah um so in in that case it's like okay realistically speaking what can i do and that's what stoicism should be t- be teaching us and that's also why i have an issue within like you know even the stoic community about saying things like we should give the mic to more people that's not how it works i can give you a mic robert but yeah. unless you feel comfortable you're not going to pick that mic up so I'm trying very hard to say stoicism is for everybody, but the people that are, you know have the ability to to be in a part, you know, have the ability that I have to stand up in the community. We don't need to give microphones. What we need to do is give space so that everybody's standing on the, you know, standing together, and then the mic's in the middle, and then you need to feel comfortable about getting the microphone because otherwise, what happens is I give you like the microphone for two minutes, you say your bit, and then I carry on talking for the next two hours. Whereas if you and I are equal, if we're yes. seen as equals, we see each other as equals then you'll grab the mic and you'll talk and you won't feel like you, oh, I better stop talking now because, you know, I'm not the right person because I don't have the right characteristics. And I think that's not, obviously that's not exclusive to stoic circles, but I think that because of our virtue ethics, we need to be really aware of opening up space and not just giving the mic and allowing people to have a two minute statement and taking it back. Because that to me is like, well, is that really, is that leading to virtue or is that potentially virtue signaling? Like, look, we've got enough, you know, people from poor working backgrounds, they're now talking on stoicism. It's like, yeah, but that's not really what we want to do. We don't even want that to be a factor. We just want people to talk about stoicism and feel comfortable where they're at. So that's something that I've tried to do because using the academic background, we, I think we created a book that if you really knew stoicism, you could, ref, you could look at the references and learn something. But equally, if you knew nothing, you could say, well, I get it. Like, I can understand the examples. That's why in chapter one, we gave an example of how we choose whether or not to drink milk. Yeah, I think most yeah, people yeah, have that. One. I don't know what I was going to ask you, so I'll ask you about it. Would you, would you say that that example is helpful? In what way is it helpful? And in what way is it less helpful? No, I think it's so very helpful. Explain, yeah. If you explain the milk example first, because I think people... Might I think it's very helpful. helpful as in, it opened up to the idea that there was an issue with, with dairy. Yeah, and for me, being have been <laughs> brought up all my life, uh, drinking a ton of milk, which sadly I'm, I'm guilty to admit that I, I'm more ethically conscious about it, but I'm still doing it. But as I said to you before we come on air, I'm becoming more towards alternative options. So you've got, um, for example, I was saying to you before I come on air, that was a way at a vegan restaurant today, and I was trying different things and, and experiencing that a lot of these alternative options are, are great. You know, they're very, they're good. You know, for example, going with milk, it was it was oat milk I was using and it was great, man. And I was like, I can actually just take this. And I, and I know that the harm that's happening to cows and I know that the harm that's happening to different animals and the suffering that they go. And why am I buying into this when I should be trying my best not to through the teachings that I've already learned? So I don't know if that kind of covers the, your, your answer. Yeah, so we, we tried to do, yeah, we tried to in chapter one give a very basic example that I think most people across the world, because that's the other thing. We, wanted, we didn't want it to be something that only an academic would understand. Yeah, yeah. Or only a person yeah. from London, which is obviously how the UK government seems to run these days. <laughs> how do we make sure that people from London understand what we're talking about? It was how can any, you know, anybody in the world more or less has come across how, what should they drink and why? So yeah. we made the argument that 
that drinking milk or not, or not drinking milk has, not, has nothing to do with virtue because it's an indifference. It, it means that yeah. there's no moral difference to your life if you drink milk or you don't. So if you, if you drink milk, it doesn't make you a good person. If you drink milk, it doesn't make you a bad person. What, what, what you have to do as a stoic is evaluate, okay, what does drinking milk mean? outside of myself and because of myself so we ask like do i like milk well obviously if i don't like it i don't drink it it's pretty simple okay what happens if i really like milk but the way that we produce milk in the majority yeah. of cases is 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 not very um helpful to animals it stops them from living according to their own nature what do you do then we also gave the example of sometimes you're at you know you're at your grandma's house or your, your uncle's house yeah yeah and like, yeah, why some things you need yeah yeah sometimes you need to drink the milk yeah, because yeah. to not yeah, drink it would yeah. actually be more offensive and, and unnecessary to have an argument with your uncle so it's a case of like people often say i don't know if you've seen this before is it stoic to do this? Is it stoic to do that? And the answer yeah. is almost always it depends. Like 99.9% of the cases, it depends. So where are yeah. you? Why are you there? What's your role? Uh, what's the situation? Is the cow that you, you know, that you took the milk from? Do you know the cow personally? You know, is she sitting outside in the garden? You've just stroked her. There's nothing wrong with that milk, right? Yeah. You took it yourself. Or is was she, you know, was she kept in a confined space? So that was the kind of thing that we were we were doing and I thought it was just helpful to give people a very sort of uh, simple example about how complex for stoics it can be and, and it's very complex it's very co- did you I, I think you, you probably read Massimo's book um and he talks about going to that fancy restaurant you know and he comes up against the option but he says that sometimes you need to gauge that because you could be out with a friend who's looking forward to seeing you and they want to spend this money on you and they want to get this meal but you're ethically you don't want to but you don't want to you maybe not want to have the meal, but you'll have it because you, you want to be there for the person and, and, and relate with them. And I, and I think that's a good example, pretty similar to the ones that you were giving yourself. It does really matter about the situation at any given time. Context and stoicism is everything. That's why I think Absolutely. it's difficult. When you hear things like, um, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, all, all Scottish people, for example, would like to have an independent Scottish. Why? Because there's scratch. I mean, that, you're yeah. just putting everybody in a category, yeah. and, and it's an indifferent. Again, yeah. so the, the Scottish referendum, even if you're Scottish, right, is an indifferent. Why? Why is a Scottish referendum necessary? Is it necessary? And yeah. there will be arguments that are reasonable on both sides. So as a Stoic is called to go. What is the re- what is it that say Nicola Sturgeon is saying? What is reasonable about what she's saying? Again, what is reasonable about what Alex Salmon is saying and what is reasonable about what Boris Johnson is saying. Yeah, and then yeah. basically the stoic response is whatever is reasonable based on the facts that we know. Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of, if we want a stoic, uh, if we want a stoic, stoic Scotland to borrow you know, the name of your podcast, really, yeah. what does that look like? Now, that, now, it could be part of the UK, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, you're yeah. saying whatever we decide, we do so with the virtues in mind. So we do so thinking we want a Scotland that is built on courageous you know courageous values yeah right because we do it even though it costs us we want a scotland that is just just yeah. to the scottish people just to the people we'd say you know norway you know the neighbors just to the just to the english just to all yeah. the people that we work with just to our trade partners we want to be self-controlled so we don't need to scream at each other to get an independent scotland or to, to fight yeah. against an independent yeah. scotland we need to be wise about you know how independent can we be? So can we be completely economically independent? Should we have a different, should we have a euro? Should we have a Scottish pound? Yeah. Those are the kind of arguments that a stoic Scotland would have. But instead, politicians don't tend to take the stoic yeah. route and they tend to lean towards whoever, whatever tribe this is basically holding their hand. Yeah. And the stoicism, we're called not to do that. We're called do not be left. 
do not be right be reasonable use yeah, your capacity yeah. for rational, rational thoughts to decide how scotland should look uh it's not really as i said it, whether it's, it's part of the uk or part of its you know, independent is actually irrelevant from a slow perspective no i think it's a it's a really really poor point and it's like the the political party that i would have followed at one particular time and still do it a degree I would agree with every, it was based more on emotion, um, maybe elements of nationalism, but it's when you, you do, when you do get into stoicism and philosophies as such, you become irrational and you don't have to agree with every single policy that comes through. There was one that got made the day or yesterday and it was saying that um, football fans are allowed to go back for the Scottish Cup final. 500 fans were allowed, the, the Scottish government allowed an extra 100 um, people to attend the, the game. And you're like, ah, you're no racism, what's the difference here? You know, it's like an extra 100 people in a 50,000-seater stadium. You know, let's be ultra-rational here. Let's re- If you spread it out, you could get more than that in it. So you're not going to always agree with, with the decisions that everybody makes, you know, especially political parties. But there is elements that well, I do I, I have the power of reason to agree with this and maybe not agree with that. Whereas in the past, and you know yourself, is that the tribalism attached with political parties, they're trying to get at your emotional side rather than your rational side. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we'll, we've chapter two. As yeah. Virtue is a way forward. Yeah. So I've actually said to you how I would see a Stoic Scotland, and I haven't told you whether I think that Scotland should be independent or not. Because yeah, to yeah. Me it's, it's irrelevant. It's actually irrelevant. Yeah. But because no. it's become so, and that is a toxic discussion, is in like if you believe, apparently, if you believe that Stoic, uh, Scotland should be, should be, you know, its own country, then you are pro-Scotland. And yeah, if yeah. you believe that it shouldn't be, you're anti-Scotland. It's like, well, first of all, it depends what you mean by Scotland, because I'm not talking. We're not talking about the land. The land doesn't care. <laughs> like when yeah, we say we're yeah, pro Scotland, yeah. what it, what it is, it, what should yeah. it really mean? It should mean pro the Scottish people, right? Once we get rid of the idea that Scotland, as a land form, has a feeling and an emotion attached, because yeah, Scotland yeah. doesn't know. If, if I move the border six inches, Scotland's not going to be aware. Like it's a mm. concept. So when we say what's good for Scotland, you say, okay, what's good for the Scottish people? Now, once you have that argument, once you get rid of that sort of national identity as a piece yeah, of yeah, land, yeah. you actually have a much more intelligent conversation. You say, okay, so if we're going to use virtue as a way forward, what do we want in Scotland? And I would argue that both Nicola Sturgeon and whoever who opposes Nicola Sturgeon, if they believe they want a Scotland, they want a fair Scotland. Yeah. So then you have to ask yourself, what does fair mean? What is fair? Right. So that's a much harder question because you say, okay, what does fair mean? Does that mean we only support like the people of Edinburgh? Does that mean we also think about the people in Everness? Does that mean that we also think about the people in London? Where, how far do we have these, you know, what's fair? So the Stokes would say, well, you've got circles of concern, right? So you've got to think about what's fair for you as an individual, what's reasonable to you, but also what's reasonable to your family, what's reasonable to your community, to so your local regional community. What's reasonable yeah. to Scotland, and then what's reasonable to the UK as, as a yeah. you know as a whole, right? And obviously, yeah. the challenge of stoicism is that you're going to have conflicting issues, right? Because what's fair to some Scottish people, seemingly, would not be fair to others, and that's why we have Socratic dialogue. Yeah, this is what politics should be about. But I haven't well, seen recently a dialogue between both sides that would result in a virtue of Scotland, because as a stoic, that's what I want. Now, if, this, if the Scottish people ultimately decide through dialogue 
and conversation that the best way to obtain that is to be independent, then great. And if they decide that ultimately the best way to do that is to be part of the UK, then great. But the, the, the goal, if your goal as a, as a party or a politician is independence, regardless of how you achieve it, that is anti-stoic because that's not the goal. Yeah. The goal is the virtues. And then whatever you do is in line with the virtues. It's not the other way around. And this is part of the problem that I find it quite toxic because then you start to, to claim identity. Yeah. It's like, well, what is identity? Then you get into feelings that you were saying, Robert. About yeah, yeah. That's what happens. Yeah. And it's actually, and what you feel is important, like stoics don't go around not feeling, right? But what you feel is you say, okay, I don't like it, but I can see the argument, right? Yeah. So, for example, if I did, you know, I might, I might want Scotland to be independent. I might feel quite strongly about it. But if you could give me a reasonable argument, Robert, as to why Scotland should be independent based on the virtues, yeah, then I have no choice as a stoic but to go with that because you've rationally and reasonably presented a case, and that's what's missing, not just from Scottish politics. That's just missing from the majority of politics. I don't know if you do you see it the same way or. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the Socratic methods which you mentioned is, is asking in those questions and keep asking the questions till you get to the core of what the belief is, you know what I mean? That's what's getting missed out. It's not based on rationalism. Well, I suppose that's unfair. There is a lot of rationalism there to a degree, but a lot of it's based in patriotism, a lot of it's based on unionism from the other side, and that patriotism attached to the, uh, the British Empire and so forth, good and bad elements, whoever you want to look at that way. Um, but a lot of you, and I, and I get it, I've been caught up in that myself in the past. Um, Kai, I, I climb a lot, I do a lot of climbing in Scotland, so I, there's, as you you probably know, there's 282 mountains in Scotland, over 3,000 feet, which is the Monroe's, and um, and when I climb those um, those hills, I get the, the old Scottish pride in, and, and, I, and I get caught up with the, the patriotism and all that, and I say, Oh, my beautiful country. <laughs> and I can get caught along with that. You know what I mean? So, and, it, and it's away from the politics part. So it's like, it's not part of the people. It's, it's nature, you know, and it's and it's wonderful. And I want to be free in nature and all that. But sadly, it's uh, it's probably, that's probably more my, my emotional side coming into play, you that's know? perfectly fine. Again, stoicism doesn't say you, sh- you shouldn't have an emotional reaction. Of course not, of course not. And so you standing yeah. there, being actually being patriotic about your land is actually a very good thing because yeah. it ties you to your land, it ties you to your community. It's when that tie becomes the be all and end all yeah. that it becomes a problem. So if you say, yeah, of course I love my mountains and of course I love my Scottish flag, of course I love my Scottish football team, yeah, yeah. and that's why I hate the English people. <laughs> that's, that's, when you get, that's when you get the problem, right? Yeah. It's more like, of course I love my land, of course I love my flag, of course I love being Scottish. But what does that mean? What does yeah. that mean to me? What does that mean to the tribe? What does that, and is that good or bad? And there will be good and bad. Like yeah. I've lived in Scotland, I can't say everything's bad or everything's good. I've lived there. Like it just yeah. doesn't happen that way. And that's the problem as well. When we start to argue that, for example, I get really frustrated, for example, in a football match. Let's imagine the Celtic Rangers football match. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm part of one side of the divide, so I get it, yeah. Yeah, you've got that. But then the referee the referee is bad or good, depending on, like, whose side he's like, depending to you. And it's like, actually, the, if you were not, if you were a Hibs fan, right, yeah. how would you see, that's how a Stoke should see the game. So you can be a Glasgow Rangers fan. Yeah, yeah. You have to treat the referee as if you were a Hibs fan. Yeah, and, and 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 be reasonable to that. It can't be that he's a terrible ref. She's a terrible ref because she gave a penalty. Yeah, as a state, it's like, well, we played badly. We lost two one because we didn't play as well as we could have done. Or they played really well. We played really well. They just played yeah. bad. And I think if we can have those conversations in something as as frivolous as football, 
then we can have those conversations on a national level. But the problem Absolutely. is that we get so in, so tribal that we can't even see like what our reality is. So I think being able to sort of step back and go, of course I want Glasgow Rangers to win the cup. Yeah. But I don't want the, I don't want Glasgow Rangers to win the cup if it yeah. means that the referee has to side of us. If it means that you know people have to be you know fans have to be shouted out. I don't want it. I don't want us to win if it means we have to cheat or you know. I mean I know that's a really sore yeah, subject yeah. for Glasgow Rangers. Yeah. I I don't think oh, any no, Glasgow sure. Rangers fan was proud about what happened a couple of years ago. I yeah. think they're very proud now that if you've come from like if you're a Glasgow Rangers fan, you've come from nothing now for the last five years yeah. and gone to the top. And yeah, yeah, they won the league. Yeah, they won the league. And I think that, when I say they won the league, kind of gives away that I'm not a Glasgow yeah. Rangers supporter. Maybe that's green top. I'm going. Just kind of tell you that. I don't know. You know? Hubs <laughs> fan. Hubs fan, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but the, I think that most Glasgow Rangers fans, and again, yeah. I'm not one, so I don't know. But I think that they would be very proud of what they've done subsequent to the fall, because that's part of the hero's journey. Especially if they stayed with them. Especially if they went to, you know, a wet, you know, winter Wednesday match somewhere where they'd never I'm been. Up the broth. Beric, for, you know, for, exa- yeah. for example, example. So I, I think that's a really key, a key thing to say what was important to them was to maintain the club. And that, that is virtuous to want to maintain your book club and to keep it alive. I don't see anything out stoic about it. It's when you're, when whatever your club does is right and whatever your club does, you know, doesn't like is, is wrong. That's yeah. when Sturgeon says, well, is it? You know, really, really is it? And that, that's the, that's the problem that we can get, Robert, sometimes that we can be biased and it's not helpful. And then we start to ruin our own character because then our decisions are not based on what's reasonable or what's true, based on how we feel, like you were saying earlier. So I was going to ask you, like, before you were a Stoic, if you went to a Celtic Rangers football match or, let's say, a Celtic Barcelona, so we don't have, you know, let's go Celtic Barcelona, would you have felt that the referee was wrong if your side had been, you know, hadn't been given a penalty? No, absolutely. Actually, I was at, I was at a Celtic Barcelona game um, probably about eight years ago and it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life actually when I was there because um, Celtic don't usually beat Barcelona and that night um, Tony Watt was a, he was a striker that played um, he's playing for Motherwell now I think he um, he, get, he got a ball through the, the, the ball came right over the top of the keeper bounced into the, the 18 yard box he ran through and slotted on for 2-1 Celtic beat Barcelona 2-1 that night now it was absolutely magical. The place <laughs> erupted. It's, I mean, Celtic Park on a on a European night or against Celtic Rangers is it's just it's it's magical place. And um, I remember then, but this is this is like prehistoric time. So I was overcome with emotion. You know, I wasn't rational about things. Um, I was given a lot of abuse and giving it that bit. You know, what I mean, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's probably see if I'm to be brutally honest, PK. I can still get caught with a wee bit. <laughs> <laughs> the stoic goes out the window and I need to remember, oh, wait, they were come back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was, it was a great experience. So I don't know if I answered your question. How would you see it now, do you think? So if, let's imagine you go, you know, you've got another match in next, next, a non-pandemic season, so you've got the emotion. Do you think that you'd be, you know, just excited, but realise, okay, I'm excited, it's great, it's just a match? Yeah. But I, I get that now, and do you know, that's a sad thing. I mean, it's as much as I love stoicism, it's totally changed my life. 
I notice I don't get caught up with the emotion that I used to because I can bring it back. So I look at my character and I know that getting overcome with any any form of passion is not really good for me because it's extremism and I try and bring that back. But sometimes I kind of laugh at myself because I feel like I'm a bore now. Why are you not shouting at Taylor? <laughs> I say, it's because I like my father. He was like, don't go overcome my emotion, Dad. You just throw yourself. Say, oh, you get yourself taken. I don't know, say the word. <laughs> But you, but you are sounding like Marcus Aurelius now because Marcus yeah. Aurelius was, like, was seen as a ball, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he didn't want to have, I think you might, you might have seen it as the footnote in the book, but he didn't want to have swords being sharp between the gladiators. That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's seen yeah. the futility in it, you know, it's like, because he was ultra rational. So it's like, as me being a practice historic, so what am I really supporting here? 11 men running about a grass pitch where kicking a, a ball that's full of air to go into a goal, you know what I mean? And it's like that. And, and it does at times take away the, the, the fun of what I like, you know what I mean? Uh, because of, but I still love it, but I still love it. You yeah. know, the animalistic side's still in me, you know. I'll never be the I'll never be an ideal sage, I'll tell you that. Okay, you know. I think yeah, well, I, think I don't think I want to be <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I like the fact that you've just done exactly what you did. Like this, you know, realistically speaking, this is eleven men yeah. per side. You know, if, assuming no one's been sent off, it's a ball with air. You know, it's a piece yeah. of leather with. You know, I think we yeah. need to do that, and it is difficult sometimes. I mean, I really, I'm not a massive football fan. I actually, love, I love American football. That is, yeah, my, yeah. that is the thing that I, I love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I allow myself sort of the luxury, as it were, to be carried away in that. You know, in, in American football, it's a lot longer. But you know, in that three hours that I'm watching it. Um, because it stops and starts and stops and starts. Yeah, yeah, I allow yeah. it to be carried away. But whether the, the you know team wins or loses, I just at the end of it, like I don't know these people. Like they're not my friends. It's not you know it's not my dad. Yeah. It's not my brother. It's not my you know my kid or anything. It's just people I don't know. So I kind of acknowledge it. Like I'm a, I give myself the, the ability to like this is escapism. Yeah, yeah. Ninety yeah. minutes, for example. I can, for my team is really bad. It's late in Orient. So it's a yeah, 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 really yeah, yeah. awful side. Yeah, yeah. We were in the FA, although this year we got robbed because of the pandemic. We couldn't play top in the hotspot. But I would yeah. have got—I know I would have got carried away for that ninety minutes. The, the key thing is to once you you know you finish those ninety minutes, be like, well, that was great. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, Titus, for example, really likes wrestling. So I, I was also like you, like, am I allowed to like Smick? And Leonidas, the co-author, told me, well, Epitaitis really liked wrestling. Yeah, you can yeah. like it for you know for the twenty minutes that that thing's on, you can love it. As long yeah. as you realise, like, you know, for example, I've seen people who, and I spoke to people who are who were hooligans, who literally, uh, they were they were Madrid fans, and their hobby was to smash up, you know, yeah. people's faces. And I said, like, how did you do that? They're like, it's so much fun. So yeah. it was really weird. Like, Monday to Friday, this person was really normal. And on Saturday, he was like, crazy he's like just don't meet me on a Saturday yeah. <laughs> like, how can you how can I you, can like, still get that? that I get that Go on, I get that I, I, um, I, I when I was younger I, I, I've never ever mentioned this in the podcast before but I, I was involved with a lot of um, violence when I was a kid and in particular um, a lot of uh, territorial issues between where I stayed and another place literally actually I'm only about a mile a half a mile away from the place we used to fight with the people and uh, the biggest irony out of that is that a lot of the guys I used to fight with are really good friends today. Because what you'll find is that when we were younger, when we were fighting, it was the adrenaline, it was like the, 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 the buzz of going, I'll get you, you'll get me, and I'll hurt you, you'll hurt me. 
And uh, but this, but the reality was is that we we were very common in our outlook because we were all from a working class background. We all were into similar things, whether it be the same football team or the opposite football team. Uh, we drank the same stuff. We wore the same clothes. The only difference was it was a, was a postcode, you know, that which divided us. You know what I mean? And it's like when I look back now and I go. That was absolutely insane. You know what I mean? It was insane the stuff we used to go up to and the damage. And I've actually, sadly, my son's, my, I've got a sixteen-year-old kid who, um, oh, he's, he's <laughs> I'd like to say he's pre-rational, but he, he should have the power to be rational. But he's been involved with a wee bit of trouble as well because he's been caught up with similar things that's happened to me before. So I get that. It's like, how can you have that escapism? He's Hangman, he thinks it's okay, but it's dangerous and people get hurt, you know what I mean? Um, and there's another thing, I'll give another good point and all. I'm I'm, a, I'm retired now, but I used to do Muay Thai. So I, went, I got myself sober. I got, I've got no talk about my sobriety now, but I can maybe talk about it. That's another point. But um, I got sober when I was about 25 years old and I got into the martial arts. And um, I used to, uh, I got to an old bad level where I, I was going into a ring and I would go under the ropes, right? And I would get in and face another man. And see when you really, see when you really, that's take football out of the equation, even American football to a degree, I can, it's, it's, it's insane as well. But when you get into a, when you get two men into a ring who have trained for at least a minimum of six weeks to get as super fit as they can to go in there and start kicking two shades of shit out each other, <laughs> you know, and then coming back out it and see the experience you get with that guy, it was like, it was I, the only way I could, I'm not a spiritual person, right? I'm not a religious person, but I can only say I had a sense of calm and respect for that other man because I pushed myself to the limit. And you know yourself historically, is that was it Chrysiphus? Who was it? Who was the runner? And who was the boxer? So Cleanthes you know? was a was a boxer. Cleanthes was a boxer, and Chrysiphus was a runner, right? Now I do both of them, so I've been a fighter, and I get that, right? And how stoicism, I, I wasn't practicing stoic then, but I get the mindset with that. And I also get it with running because I was putting myself under a lot of hardship and a lot of pain. And I found out from my experience with stoicism, which you showed me, and you'll agree with this as, as, as well with your, with your academic achievement, is that see anything that's difficult and hard, it's usually worthwhile. You know what I mean? So getting into that ring, which was very challenging, and coming out the other side alive, you know, take the, the motion out the window and the rationalism kicks in like, what did I just do there, you know, and uh, come out, you know, and it's like this great experience because it was a hard thing to do. And with Chrysiphus, you know, you know, obviously he predated the marathon where it came from, where it originated, but I've, I've ran a marathon too, you know, and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. But see, looking back, I'm so, I've got so many fond memories of it, you know, and that's the same way going through the hardships of stoicism, that's the same as going through the hardships of uh, getting into education, getting your degree, getting your master's, getting your doctorate, all the stuff that you've did. And that's where I, this is where this really uh, takes it home to me. It's like, my character's totally within my power, 100% within my power. And the more I push myself to become a better person through the virtues and the ethics that I've found, my life has just get better and better and better. You know, and it's always doing it the hard things. See things that come easy, to me, they're no, they're no great value, you know? Yeah. I think that's why in the, in the book, Leo and I spent a lot of time telling stories. So the book is, although we're academics, yeah. I wouldn't say it was an academic, because we wanted to tell the story of the Stoics. We wanted to tell tell everybody their story, because yeah. I thought that 
lots of times we say as academics, these were the early stir, the middle stir, and the late stir, but that's not really true. I mean, that's just how we categorize it to understand, separate the epics. This is where this comes from, this is where this comes from. I didn't think it was a very interesting way of telling the story. I think the story was interesting in itself. And, and I, I was wondering what you thought of the journey, because you explained in your journey, and then you have links to, now you know that you have links to Cleanthes and you have links yeah. to Cyprus. And, you know, you probably have, you know, links, links to Zeno, who was sitting on, you know, after his ship went down, he was poor. He was an extreme poverty, yeah. Uh, yeah. financial poverty. I don't mean spiritual poverty, but financial poverty. Yeah. And you, you can relate to that. So I was just going to ask you, like, through reading uh, the, our book, Being Better, did you feel you could relate to the Stoics more? Or Absolutely. And in it was, what and way? It, and, and it's a great question. And thanks for asking my question, because it's usually me that's asking the question, so it's good when I get some back. <laughs> So what I loved you when we when we started off uh, earlier on the podcast, you talked about uh, like especially in the UK, there's like a class consciousness, the so working class and so forth, middle class, upper class. Now the great thing about stoicism, which I agree with, um, and which I find brilliant, is and also with running, right, from a running career, was that those activities, you know, getting involved with a philosophy of life and stoicism, crossed every class barrier. You know, it's like you go. I, I can relate to Cleanthes and and the, the stuff that he did, and and I could relate to um, Epictetus. You know, I mean, I was never a slave. You know, maybe a slave to my mind with my addiction issues, but you know, but never a slave as in some dude me as property. You know what I mean? And that man took on grasped every element of Stoicism and then implemented any teachings which he, he gave out to the world. Well, it wasn't him that gave it. Was you know who it was his? Uh, who was he? Who wrote Arian. the Enchiridion? Yeah, he's his student area. Erin, yep, so he then gave his teachings to the world, you know, but then you had the other side of the, the other, the other side of the coin where you had guys like Seneca, who were so high up in the royal court, you know, they were in the most powerful position, he had the, one of the most powerful positions uh, in the whole world at that time, and then after that you've, you've got Marcus Aurelius, who is the most powerful man uh, with all everything at his disposal, you know, if he wanted to have a hundred women, he could have a hundred women. If he wanted to see a hundred men killed, he could have a hundred men killed. You know, and he used the virtues and um, the teachings of Stoicism to become a better man. But in a situation with absolutely so much power, you know, it was unbelievable. And even if you look at Seneca, and I think it's very sad because for me, Seneca gets such a bad press, you know. But he was in a hopeless situation. You know, he was a 50, 52 year old man or 53 year old man where he's already been exiled twice. You know, he's um, he's in a royal court with, um, and I've got a 16 year old son. You know, Nero came to power when he was 16. Who gives a 16 year old ultimate power over a dominion with an empire that's the biggest empire the world's ever seen and expecting anything other than result than that happened? He was only a loser for day one. Do you know what I mean? So, um, I don't, I'm probably having a tangent there, but, but know, um, I, I can relate to that all throughout the, the classes that how this um, philosophy goes right across the class the class divide. And if like if you were to bring something like this philosophy into more people's lives through different class backgrounds, you know, it just shows that it, you can flourish no matter what, where you are. Yeah, that and that's sense. what we wanted to show because I think if you look at it from if you don't tell the story, because I find a lot of, for example, in Silicon, what we, what we coined a few years ago, Silicon Valley stories, they don't like to give you the context. They would like to say that he was powerful. They like to say that he, you know, Roman, you know, for example, Marcus Aurelius was powerful. Yeah. But they don't want to tell you 
the whole context of the whole thing. So we did try to, you said you were really interested in history. We did try to dig into the history to give yes. some context. In fact, for example, he was powerful. He had to face a plague. Now, you don't normally hear about that. Normally, in, especially in the life hacking kind of website thing, it's about him being powerful and him having money. It's not about him, the fact that he lost all his children, except like a couple of them. It's yeah. not that he had yeah. to face the plague. It's not like he had, they don't talk necessarily about the rebellion. They don't talk about the fact that he, he understands that power can corrupt. Like, and that's what the story we, want, we wanted to tell, because if you don't tell those stories, if you just say, if you just take like a life hack and you just take a quote and you chuck it on your, you chuck it on your fridge, it doesn't mean anything if you don't understand the man. So when you hear about, you know, Seneca's struggles, yeah, you can go, I get that. I could get, if I gave my son complete power over this household, let yeah, alone yeah. Just one household alone, yeah. yeah. I can see where there'd be a struggle. I can also see where, you know, he was hypocritical because he could have done yeah, Absolutely. It. And he is the, probably the biggest hypocrite going. He does say, I'm a hypocrite, so don't, you know, don't Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's what I liked about him the most, is like, it's as much as um, he was flawed, he would tell you how flawed he was, you know what yeah. I mean? He would tell you how flawed he was, you know, and I, I don't mind that, you know, it's like, I, I know that stoicism helps me, and I practice it in my life, and it's made me, I think, I hope it's made me a better person since I've first seen you in 2018, you know, I think my life's uh, proved dramatically with it. But I still get my struggles, you know. I still go through pain, you know. I still go through uh, external things that, um, that like, I had a situation with my son where um, there was police involved. I had a situation with my son. Um, I, I've never mentioned this in, in the podcast before, you know, and um, to anybody. But it, there was a time he, he tried to take his life, you know, and I had to go through all those situations. And and he still gets wrong. He's okay now. It was just it was a wee cry for help in that. But it was it was it was really heavy heavy duty stuff. And stoicism then allowed me not to indulge in what I would have done in the past. So, for example, I, I'd have indul indulged with drugs and I'd have indulged with alcohol. And it was then, it was like when the shit really hit the fan and my back was against the wall, stoicism came at the forefront of um, me being a strong character, not just for me, but for myself. And it's like the chapter that you wrote um, about people in circles and not boxes, you know, it was like, my son's going through this horrendous thing now, but which is which is on him, and it's and it's hard. I'm his father, and I need to be there for him. So I was there for the self, and I was there for the family, you know. And as and as you got that character, it's like see my experience with that. I can then go and help a friend with that, which you've put down. Uh, I can also put help the community with that because then I can discuss to people that listen, these things happen. And you don't have to, like, so from my background, sorry, which I never, I've not spoken about yet, is um, I'm involved with a lot of 12-step fellowships, you know, with drug addiction and alcohol addiction. And people go through this, the situations I got through, but a lot of them have, in the past, would maybe turn to drink as a coping mechanism for that. Whereas stoicism showed me that, you know what, I can then go further into that circle and say, I can help the, the, the recovery community saying that this happened with my son. Um, I was there for him. I didn't lift a drink. I didn't lift a drug. So therefore, this is working. You know what I mean? I don't have to use it. To, I don't have to go and tell them that it's stoicism that works for that. But it's then I know that stoicism's working for me. You know what I mean? And then you go and say all oh, humanity and earth and that, and it's it's really interesting stuff. So, I do think we do because the chapter's called "Put People uh, Put People in Circles, Not Boxes." Because I do think you can tick a box with people. You can say, you know, for example, your son did this because, and then tick a box instead of actually yeah. asking him, like, how do you feel about? It? So we yeah. actually criticize the idea of putting, because we talk a lot about put, put yourself in my shoes. And I often say, 
Like if you put yourself in my shoes, right? My feet are probably smaller than yours, given your height. They're gonna, it's gonna be really uncomfortable and you're yeah. not gonna be able to think properly anyway, right? The idea is in stoicism is not to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, it's to ask them how it is to be in their shoes. It's, it's about listening. But I wanted to ask you, Robert, so look, I'll give you an example, just something that, you, that, that probably hasn't affected you, so just so I can see your reasoning. Imagine yeah. you've got a person who, who is older and they have a house, they own the house and they have two children. One of them is really wealthy and the other one's really poor. Now they want to give the house as an inheritance. Should they, in, in a stoic sense, would you encourage them to ask questions like, should I give the house 50-50 because I have two children and to be fair, this is an argument they could use. To be fair, I should give the house to completely, to, you know, to 50-50 to both of them. I know my son's a millionaire and my daughter lives in a council estate, let's just say for sake of argument. Is it fair from a stoic perspective to say 50-50 or is it is fair something else? Now, I have thought about this answer a lot, but I'm not going to ask you. So we're going to test you on something you might not have thought about. Yeah, I've never actually thought about it. And it's, an, it's a really good question. And I think for me, it's a difficult one to answer straight. There's just a yes or no, because... It's like we were discussing throughout this interview. It's like you need to discuss the elements of what's going on in the background around about that. Um, because, for example, the person that's a millionaire may be a millionaire because they've attained that through good work ethic, uh, opportunities and so forth. And the person that you've got in the background may not have any money because there may be addiction issues. Because that's what I'm saying. Get back to this, what we're talking about there. The now it's like, and I'll give you an example for that. I had a family member. I'm not going to mention them on, on uh, when I'm on on a podcast, but we get about inheritance money. It wasn't it wasn't much for, for a working class family, and we got the money. So me and one of my mother family members got the money, but one of the family members didn't get money. He get given um, different things like uh, he get money. He get help towards a car. He got um, he got a. a, a furnishings for the house and all that. And the reason he got that, because he knew that if he was to get that substantial amount of money, that therefore it might um, trigger him to, to go down a, a, a bad down to a bad place. Does that kind of make sense? You know, exactly. that there always has to be that that internal dialogue. You know, that question is, is this fair? You know, because it could actually be a detriment to that person. Exactly. So that's exactly the kind of answer I wanted you to say, because a lot of people say, <laughs> but exactly, it's also wisdom. So if you know that that individual will take that 50% and waste it, yes. whatever waste it means, right? So we're yeah, not yeah. making a judgment because we're doing hypothetical. No, no, I know what you mean. But... Perhaps the best answer is not to do, you know, not to give them the 50%. Perhaps it's better to give it to their children. Perhaps it's better yeah. to, you know, depending on the relationship with yeah. the children. And that's what Stoicism's not, it's not a 12 step program. And I understand, like, yeah. with the 12 step program, that's very important because it's a specific scenario yeah, yeah. that people need to, you know, they need structure. So, again, like, Stoicism is not anti a 12 step program. No, right? no, it's, it's not. not like, like, oh, very compatible, and are we actually? Can be yeah. compatible. Yeah. Exactly. So, it's a case of, does the person need a structure? Possibly yes. Possibly yeah. no. Does that person need the money? Possibly yes. Possibly no. If we gave them, if we gave them money, would they use it for for things that they would need? Possibly. And that that's the whole thing. That's why even something as simple as drinking milk goes. Okay, what is, is where does this milk come from? Do I like milk? Where am I? What's my role? Yeah. Like, if you gave me milk in your house now, you know. So I'd say, well, Robert, you know, so I'm not going to drink it. But if you... <laughs> <laughs> I live, I live, I live. Smoke in the sink after, after yeah. we come off the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But if your son offered me that drink, let's imagine your son in the same place and literally the same kitchen, he offered it to me, I would drink it. Why? Because yeah. he doesn't know. He didn't know. He wasn't trying to be, you know, difficult. Yeah. So even in this, we're talking about literally the same kitchen, the same cup, the same fridge, just a different yeah. person makes it. You've just gone out, you know, you've just gone out to get me an iron brew, for example. So yeah. can you get me an iron brew for later? You've gone out and got me one. And he just made me a cup of tea out of being kind. Now, if I pour that tea down the drain, he might take that as me being disrespectful. And that yeah. actually might turn him against stories. And he's going, well, dad, you said that this guy is really stoic. And yet he poured my drink down the drain for no yeah. reason. And you'd be like, oh, that's because, and you'd know. But it's not for him to necessarily know that. So I also have to acknowledge, you know, what does he know? And what do I know? And so it's kind of like virtue for me is a kind of dance, right? It's in the relationship. That's why we say that virtue doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not that it's now, because you just gave me the really good example of, well, fair is not necessarily 50-50. In the yeah. eyes of the law, though, right? If, if yeah. you die and you don't give, you don't give a will, the law is going to say 50-50. Yeah. Right? You're going to have an equal claim. Yeah. Just because you're poor doesn't give you less. Well, it does in some respects because your lawyer is not as good. But in theory, yeah. like, You've got 50-50 right down the middle, haven't you? Yeah. That's why it's quite challenging. Tell no, me. it's a good interest in it. And I've seen it, but I've just seen how the time. I've been enjoying myself that much. We're actually over an hour and 10 minutes in nearly, so we'll kind of wrap it up soon. But um, there was a great example you were talking about. It's like with law there, right? So I had a friend who went away to, um, he went away for a retreat, right? And he took his son on the retreat. Now, his son had, um, had an issue in the community with the police and an incident. Cut a long story short, what happened is he went through the court system and he'd get told he had to be in for a certain time in a curfew, right? So he contacted the he went through social services, contacted the social workers, they told they were going to the retreat. He sent an email to the to the lawyer and um they, they knew they were going to this retreat. So his his bail conditions weren't getting weren't getting broken. Uh, the, the police at the, the question knew about it. But cut a long story short, he went to the retreat, came back with his son, and then when he came back, um, the police came the following night and says, yeah, we need to take the the, uh, the person's son away. He's like, what do you mean? He says, this is the rational part of it. It's like, he was out with the community. He was with like-minded people. He was getting it shown that there's a bigger bigger world out there. Um, he was shown that alcohol and drugs are not permitted here. This is where for a better place for him. And all that kind of stuff that was really good for him. So it was good for the community. It was good for the young person. And uh, sadly, back to you, the rationality of the law says he should not have left. So therefore, he should have stayed. And therefore, he's getting remanded or reprimanded for that, for that angry. So it, it has, you know, it, it was very irrational. And it caused a lot of conflict between uh, my friend and uh, the police at that time. Actually, it was lucky that he never actually get... Uh, <laughs> arrested because it had a, a backlash about it, you know? And that's, like, that's exactly, a kind of good example. That's a really, really good example. And that's exactly why Zeno, City uh, and the founder, he talked about anarchy. And I don't mean in terms of the modern yeah. anarchy. Yeah, I see it in the book, yeah. It says like rules, it depends, right? So the greater good, you know, the common greater good for that individual was to go on that trip for the reasons you've just provided. The law is a blunt instrument. It says, I said you couldn't do something, therefore you cannot do anything. Yeah. And that's why this is the problem going back to going back full circle just to end up. The self-help, if it's a set of laws, aren't necessarily helpful. They can be. They yeah. can be. But yeah. 
if you say if you restrict someone to a sort of a legal kind of looking frame like if you do a b and c you'll get one two three it's just not just not true and i guess that's why we wrote we wrote the book so that people could instead of following what i say and i told them all the time do not follow what i say listen to what i say yeah and then follow what you know to be right because i don't know you like i don't i mean robert i'm getting to know you but i don't know you very well yeah yeah, yeah. So i couldn't tell you how to do something You'd have to reason with me about, we should have a discussion about what you should do in a, a given situation. So that's kind of like the premise of the book, not to give people answers, but to give people questions so that it truly is helpful, yeah. helpful to them. But thank you so much, Robert, for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, thank listen, it's, it's been absolutely fantastic and I'm so glad to be on. And I think we discussed it at the start of the podcast. I'll get you on again in the near future and we'll discuss some of the... Uh, the more theory behind uh, Stoicism and that, because we, we had some really, really excellent stuff in there, um, but we can maybe talk about some sort of techniques that you use in your life, and maybe talk, a, I think we'll talk a wee bit more about environmentalism, I think, the next time you're on, and um, and how that's compatibility with, um, with, with, with Stoicism. Before we go offline, could you could you tell us um, where any of our guests, uh, sorry, not guests, uh, our listeners can get a hold of you, Kai? So I'm pretty, I'm pretty open. So I've got stoicky.com, and if you write me an email, I will reply. So I think that's the best way. Otherwise, Twitter at Kai Whiting. But yeah, I, if you did read the book, if you're listening, I would like to know your opinion. You don't have to like it. You can complain that it's too short, and that's perfectly fine. You can, you can complain as someone else did that I didn't include Seneca. We did that on purpose actually because we thought Seneca wasn't a good example of principles. <laughs> we're going we're, we're to use him, uh, God willing, in, in the in the second book where yeah. we talk about what happens when you break principles and you still want to be stoic. So I thought we thought that Seneca was a really good example of that, and not such. A good example of how to establish a principle yeah. so i'm open and open to i hope i've shown uh, your listeners that i'm open to debate and uh i like to debate so yeah i'm, I'm really open and honest where with an email i think i've shown as well that i'm quite down to work for an academic at least yeah can you just one more time just tell everybody the name of the book again so the book is being better stoicism for a world worth living in it's yeah. available in all bookstores what i would say is uh if i had to ask for one thing that you do for me is ask your local library for a copy of the book so that people who have lost their jobs in the pandemic don't have to buy a copy so i don't necessarily want you to go out and buy a copy but i would really like you to go and ask your local library or your local university library for a copy so that people less fortunate then yourself or myself can have a copy and don't feel obliged to buy it because I wouldn't want people to feel that way. Yeah, thanks, Kai. That's been absolutely excellent. I think that's a great idea with the, with the library. I think I can do that myself. There's a local library just up the road. So thanks a lot, mate. Um, and we'll get a catch up with you soon. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in again to another episode of Scotland Stokes. I should be back in another couple of weeks' time. I've got a guest in mind, not confirmed yet, but we'll do it soon. And I'll speak to you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye.